New Year's Eve, there we go, yeah. I never, I always get confused. We have Christmas Eve, Eve, and Christmas Eve, and all these other Eves going on, but tomorrow will be a new year, and I can't believe, really, how fast 2023 has gone. If you know me, you know I like things fast. My father-in-law sat over there. Often he tells me to slow down when I'm driving the car, because I drive very quick everywhere. Uh, but it has been a, in a, like a flash in the pan in many ways this year. And I think it's fair to say, or true to say, what I've realized is the older you get, the quicker time seems to go, right? Uh, so like, it's time, it's time seems to go quicker the older you get. Time is a real thief. It, it constantly robs us of the things that we want to do or become or achieve uh, or want to see. Uh, and I've noticed when you're younger, uh, you kind of wish that time would speed up. So you're like, oh, I can't wait to be big. I can't wait for this to happen. I can't, oh, I can't wait to finish school. And then you hit your 30s, probably my mid-30s where I am now, and I'm like, gosh, time's flying. I, I wish it would slow down. And then you get to about your 60s, and you're kind of like, I wish it would stop completely so I can just enjoy what I've achieved in this lifetime. And then I was speaking to my nana before she passed away, and she was in her 90s. She was like, I just wish it would hurry up now, Adam. I want to get home to the Lord. <laughs> so time is a difficult thing, isn't it? And, you know, New Year's is often a moment to celebrate the good, move on from the bad, and look forward to the future. And I did some research into some New Year's traditions, because we all have that traditional one, don't we, of a New Year's resolution. Do people make those still? I tried to do it a few years ago, and if I'm honest with you, I failed at every single one I did quite dramatically, so I, I'm not going to make one. But here are some that I found out. Uh, apparently, if you're Brazilian, you would welcome in the new year at the beach. So you'd have a beach party. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Uh, so if you're in Rio, get yourself down to the beach, because apparently, uh, and obviously this is dependent on whether there's a lots of waves or not, if you jump over seven waves, it is deemed as good luck into your new year. Well, I was thinking, what happens if the sea is still that day? <laughs> How does that work out? Um, if you, here we go. If you hear plates breaking in Denmark on New Year's Eve, it's considered good luck. The Danes hold a traditional uh, thing of throwing plates at the front door of family and friends <laughs> to welcome in the good new, good new Year. So don't bother coming around my house, thank you, and chucking plates at my door. I don't fancy that. Um, apparently, the guy who, cr who was credited with Old Lang Syne, you know that song that nobody really knows the words to? Uh, <laughs> so Robert Burns, he was the guy who was meant to have written it. He actually took it from a Scottish folk song called Old Long Syne, and he put his own spin on it in 1788, which is the version we all know today, Old Lang Syne, which means long time past, oh, times long past. This is a nice one. Uh, if you ever go to New York, you get... You're, you're lucky enough to go, blessed enough to go to New York for New Year's. We got to do that a few years ago, me and Bridget, pre-kids, when we had a bit more freedom. Uh, they dropped the ball, I don't know if you've heard about that, and then they fire this, all this confetti everywhere. And it's, it's an amazing experience, but which I didn't realise this. The confetti in Times Square has thousands of people's wishes written on them. In 2015, the wish fetti became a part of tr the tradition. People write their wishes for the new year and submit them to the wish wall in Times Square or online, and those wishes are turned into confetti, confetti that falls over the crowd at midnight. I thought that was quite nice, that. that was quite nice. Uh, here's the final one. This is uh, just in case you need any prompting for tonight. 
In Latin America countries, people carefully pick the underwear they wear for the holiday. Yellow enhances your chance for abundance and money, apparently. Red means you're going to likely find love. And if you were sporting white underpants, preferably clean ones, then peace was your top priority for the coming new year. Do you know what? Whatever you're doing and however you celebrate the new year, uh, I really hope that tonight will be a day of that you, uh, and today would be a day that you look forward to the new year with anticipation, with hope that God's going to do something massive in this new year. I want to talk about this notion of remembering and looking ahead over these next few minutes. I, I realized around about probably December the 19th this year, I probably knew this secretly in the back of my head because people have been saying stuff to me, but about December the 19th, which was uh, just after all the carol services and things like that, that I was getting to a place of I started to feel exhausted. I was starting to be feeling really exhausted at this point. And I'm not just talking physically. I realized it was emotional and spiritual as well. And, uh, you know, I realized that I was running on fumes. And, you know, it's never good when we run on fumes, both physically, emotionally, or spiritually. In any of those spheres, it's never healthy for us to run on fumes. Uh, I don't know if you've ever run your car when it's on the red light moment, and you just keep running it and running it and running it. I've actually ran to the point where I ran out of petrol once. And it's never good. The mechanics say to you it's never good because as you're running your car to the bottom end of its tank, it starts dragging through all the filth and muck that's been sat there for ages into your system. And that's the same way spiritually, emotionally. And so I'm trying to be a little bit vulnerable with you this morning. And I want to say as we step into this new year, we can't be that kind of person who's running on fumes. It's not healthy for any of us to do that. So the week before Christmas... I started to take my foot off the gas a little bit and I entered into the Christmas break with a real sense of the need to rest. And I felt that the Lord say to me, this is going to be a season of rest. And if you know me, that's not really the thing that I like to do. I'm a doer. I, I'm a caffeinated, like full fat pastor who likes to run at things fast. And, you know, this year has been fast and furious. But I felt the Lord say, you need to rest in me in this season. I don't know if you, any of you ever felt like that before or even maybe are feeling a bit exhausted right now. But you know, over this period of rest, I've started to reflect as well of the journey that I've been on personally over the last 12 months, my family has been on, and that we have been on corporately as a church as well. And you know, there's been some good, there's been some bad, and there's been some stuff that we're still trying to work through at this moment in time. But as I've reflected, I've gone from thoughtful to thankful and then to hopeful. And so I want to encourage you with a few of those thoughts that I've had over this period of time. You know, because as I reflect, I'm reminded that I'm not here by chance. We are not here by chance. If you think that you're sat here by mistake or by chance or it's random, you're not. You're here on purpose. It's by design. And you're here today on purpose. And I believe that the Lord wants to say something to you this morning. And uh, because we're here because of the grace and mercy of God. The Father, the Father has besieged upon us his mercies to allow us to be here today, to work for him, to serve him, to love for him, to lead for him. And this really is the greatest privilege of all things. And I'm not just talking about the platform or the pulpit or this role that I'm in, but this idea that we are in relationship with the living God that we heard earlier, it blows our mind that the living God died for you and for me. He, that we can say he's our friend, he's our father, he's, he's the lover of our souls. To be in relationship with the living God who calls us, restores us, repurposes us, constantly gives us hope for the future. 
And so I went from thoughtful to thankful to hopeful because here's my reasoning. If God has been good in the past, there's no doubt, and I've got a hunch he's going to be good again in the future. If he's proven himself time and time again in the past, there's a good strong chance that when I look to the future, he's going to do it again. So I look to the future with hope and anticipation. So today, as we start this day, I really feel a good way for us to enter this new year is to pause, to look back, to look around, and then to look ahead, to evaluate, to commemorate, to recalibrate, and then to concentrate on what God wants us to do specifically in our futures. So we're going to read from Joshua 4. Uh, and in Joshua 4, the, ch- the Israelites have crossed over the River Jordan. Uh, they have left the wilderness. They are now in the Promised Land. And I imagine there was probably a huge party going on at this point in time. I'm sure they were all feeling giddy and excited. Uh, there was lots of hallelujahs and shouts of glory at this point in time because they had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness at this point in time. Thinking about this land, dreaming about this land, hoping for this land, and now they were in the land. And as soon as they cross over, God tells them to do something specific, not just camp and take over, but set up an interesting memorial. And we're going to look at this story today. So if you've got a Bible or you've got a device, why don't you turn it to Joshua 4, verses 1 to 9. And as you do this, I just want to encourage you. I, I often think, you know, if you don't think that Jesus has a sense of humor... I absolutely do think he has. He's, the, he's the, the king of banter is God. He is so funny. He knows what he's doing. As I came into this uh, role here, you will probably remember some of you who were with us in my first service. We did a whole series about Joshua, about crossing over, about the courage and the fear that we require. And I wasn't intending to preach on Joshua at the end of the year. I was thinking about something else. But as I was reflecting in this period of time, the Lord brought to me once more this passage, and it's come to my heart, and he's been like, I want you to preach on it. I'm like, well, I preached on that at the beginning of the year. You want me to preach it at the end of the year as well. And so today, as we look at this passage, I believe God wants to bring us some uh, some fresh stuff to us this morning and something exciting. Um, And so he says this. Uh, Just to give you a bit of background, if you you haven't read this before, Moses has died, Joshua has taken up the mantle, is now leading the nation of Israel. He's leading them into the promised land. They get into the Jordan. It's swollen, it's thick, it's fast, and they see this miracle. God literally parts the Jordan in order for them to pass once more uh, over. And it's a miracle like they saw the first time they left Egypt. This is what it says. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask, What do these stones mean? You can tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. 
the, they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord that had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. You know, there was a, a, a huge crowd of about two to three million Israelites who had to go across the river Jordan. Uh, and they got to this, uh, they were at the east boundary of that land, and now they're in the west bank of the Jordan area. Uh, when they come into the land of Israel, they set a base at this place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is about eight miles from the Jordan River, about two miles from the city of Jericho, uh, which would be their first conquest in, 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 in this process of taking over the promised land. Uh, actually, Gilgal would become the base camp. They would always come back to Gilgal. So they would camp at Gilgal, they'll take over Jericho, and they'll come back to Gilgal, okay? And then they fight, they fight battles up north, and then they come back to Gilgal, and then they fight battles down south, and they come back to Gilgal. So you're getting it. Gilgal is a really important place for the nation of Israel. That's where they're going to camp out, and Gilgal will become this place of future importance in the history of the nation of Israel as well. For example, the very first king of Israel, which was Saul, he is uh, consecrated, well, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, like what happens to pr uh, Prince Charles to become the king, that happens at Gil. Gal at that point in time. He's sworn in at Gilgal, the place in the middle of the wilderness. Later on, King David, he will be exiled uh, from the land because of his son Absalom's rebellion. And then when David comes back into the land, he crosses over the river Jordan where these guys come into the land and the leaders of Judah and Benjamin will meet David at Gilgal and will bring him back to Jerusalem so it would become, and it is now, and would become a very strategic place and part of their history and their early history. But here the Lord says, I want you to build me a memorial out of stones. And he doesn't say, right, I want some fancy palace. Uh, I don't know if any of you have uh, been down to London and you've seen like Nelson's Column, you've been to Paris and see the Arc de Triomphe, um, it, or, or even like had the privilege of going to like Rome and walking around uh, like all, all the whole of Rome, there's, there's, there's like monuments absolutely everywhere there. He doesn't ask for something fancy. He doesn't ask for like a palace. He doesn't ask for a castle. He doesn't ask for it to be, he asks for it to be specific, but he says it's a matter of sim simple as well. He asks 12 tribes to stack 12 stones to create a marker point, to create a point of reference for the people to come back and say this is what happened here. This is significant for us in our journey to the promise. And so, uh, I'm not going to preach for too long this morning because I don't think I, that, that, that I need to, but I am going to give you, to draw some points out of this. The first one is this, God's memorials are so that we will never forget what God has done for us. God places memorials there so that we will never forget what God has done for us. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, when we think about it. We all, we have a mem memorials all over the place for those people who have done significant things, uh, for times that were significant, or for those who have served and fallen in battle. Even football clubs have memorials outside of them. Uh, we have, I'm a Liverpool fan, so in Liverpool we have the Shankly Gates, uh, and we have... Uh, 
the statues of the famous managers and players. If you go down to Wembley, the statues of famous managers and players placed around the stadium. Uh, if you go to Leeds United, I think there's Billy Bremer's sta sta um, statue there. The, the even in town, we have statues of important people marked in time of what they have achieved. And so we all can recognize memorials are there for a reason, for us to remember what those people achieved in that time. We all partake, don't we, in Remembrance Sunday. Uh, from young to old, we all say that we at least we forget. We know that if the people forget, they are doomed to therefore repeat the mistakes of the past. And maybe worse, not appreciate what was done to give us the freedom that we have today. We... We do these things in order to remember, to remind us, but not only to remind us, but to teach the next generation as well. You see, the same as with God. By always remembering, we're able to maintain this humility and dependence upon him. When we remember what God has done for us, how far he has taken us, how he has changed us and transformed us, we suddenly start realizing it's not about us and the, the plans that we put in place in our lives, but we remember it's about Jesus and his mercy and his grace in our lives that is constantly poured out day after day after day. Because I think I'm guilty of this, and therefore I would assume that a lot of us are also guilty of this, that we can become complacent in our faith and forget that Jesus is the reason Jesus is the one who saved us from the miry pit. He is the one who set our feet upon the rock. He is the one who transforms us. And we, I said that verse earlier, the old has gone and the new has come in. That's a daily occurrence that we need to be doing that with the Lord. And I think sometimes when we become complacent, we forget. And we think it's about us and we start building memorials to us. Look what I've achieved. Look who I am. Look how great I've, I've become. I've done this in my lifetime. I've done that. And it's, and it's so easy for us to do that. But actually, when we start to remember, it's not about us. It's about him and what he's achieved and what he's done and what he continues to do through us. So God's memorials are there so that we will never forget what God has done for us. You see, by always remembering how God saved us, we are more compassionate towards others. And we desire the salvation a little bit more as well. The next one is this, God's memorials are for the future generations. It says in uh, verses 6 and 7, When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, this is what it says in verses 21 to 22, a bit further ahead. What do these stones mean? Then you will let their children know. You see, uh, memorials are especially for the future generations. Obviously, the most important reason for a memorial or a past event is for those who are not there to experience it. I've said a number of times from this, this platform, what is the future generation's faith worth? It is worth absolutely everything. It's worth everything. And if we truly believe it's worth everything, then we need to be reminding our next generation of what has happened in the past. We need to be telling them stories um, Brian and Jackie aren't here this morning, but one of the things I love about Brian, he comes up to me all the time, he says, can I encourage you with a story? And I'm like, yeah, please do. And he tells me stories of times when he's been with Reinhard Bonnke or um, George Canty and all these historical great figures in the life of the Christian faith. 
And he encourages me and he says, I once saw this person raised to life. I've heard this story of this happening and wow, this is amazing. And I'm like, whoa. Like, how can that not encourage me? How can that not spur me on to see this place bring revival to this town? How can it not excite me to say that if he's done it then, he can do it now? If he's done it in that generation, why can't he do it in this generation and the next generation? You know, it's not like things stop and God's gone, I've done it once, that's my feet up, my job's done, down to the people. Because I tell you what, if it was down to the people, we'd be in a real, real mess. But he encourages us with these stones of memorial to encourage the next generation. You know, um, we, we, we're not sure 100% if this was a genuine prayer or not, but I'm taking it as genuine. It's a little win for me as a parent. We, on Christmas Eve, went up to Trimpley Reservoir and we walked around and then we realised that it was really dark and we came back. And as we were driving back, the boys in the back of the car just started to pray. And they started to pray over the town. And they were praying just simple little prayers. My six-year-old twins and my two-year-old as well, although he was praying mainly for tractors and the farmers. I think he was praying for the farmers. <laughs> but the six-year-old, my, my twins, were praying for peace and hope over the town that they would know the reality of Christmas. And that blessed me so much. It encouraged me. Because I've seen their mom and dad do it. I've seen their teachers do it upstairs in Sunday school. And they're like, this is how we should do it. I'm not blowing my trumpet as a parent a little bit, but not really. Because it's, it, it was just an encouraging thing to see these two young lads doing it, stepping out in faith. Because they know that their parents have seen it and experienced it. Therefore, they should be able to see it and experience it as well. I want to encourage you in this next season ahead, we need to be investing heavily in our next generation. Because please don't take offense to this, but look around. <laughs> I'm one of the youngest in the church. That's, that's not going to be the same in a year's time, hopefully. I want there to be younger people than me in this church. I want there to be at all ages, but I want all generations to know the truth of what we know. Because it's not fair that we hold on to this. We should be sharing this memorial as well. So it's for future generations. The most important thing is that, they, that even though they were not there to experience, they can experience it. The future of Israel, you see, was depending on the children knowing what God had done to deliver them from bondage, bring them through the wilderness, and give them the promised land. You see, Joshua had walked with Moses. He had seen, he had experienced, he, he had the hope that's what we want for our next generation, to walk closely with the older generation, to say they have seen, they have, they have experienced, they have hoped. I also want to do that as well. These stones were visible reminders of the need to tell the children what God had done. If you don't know what God had done in that moment, why don't you turn your eyes to the screen? and We're going to watch a little video for a moment. There's a story about a river. The book of Joshua tells the story of a river that stood between God's people and their promised land, of God making a way where an impossible divide seemed inescapable. It tells a story of God's faithfulness to his people. It holds their commandment and our calling to never forget. Not a single foot, not one 
was wet when God led the Israelites through the Jordan River and God gave Joshua instructions for how they should mark the place of the miracle. 12 stones for 12 tribes. 12 stones to remember because they, we simply forget even the greatest of miracles. And if we don't pass on the stories of God's faithfulness, how will the ones coming behind us know? God spoke. When your children ask you, what are these stones for you? You'll say, the flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan, stopped in its tracks. These stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. Then, thousands of years later, God parted the waters once and for all through Jesus. He parted the waters so that not one of our feet will get wet as we reach for the very face of our Savior. He has made a way. And so we sing from the edge of the deep to the dry stones ahead to remember. Every song a stone, every lyric a light cast on the author of it all. We mark the places where he's parted the waters. We sing loud for our children. We stack stones for the ones who will need strong foundations, built by the ones who have gone before them. We remember now to recount it later to generations to come. We sing, great is his faithfulness. God, great is your faithfulness. See, God's memorials are for our future hope. And so I want to finish by asking you this question. What memorials have we been given this year? Personally, maybe as a family, or just you yourself, but also corporately as a church family. What has God given us as a marker, a memorial to, remi- to remember the faithfulness and kindness of his mercy? I'm going to start you off by just encouraging you. This is a few for me personally this year. It's been a year of challenge and change for me personally. I've had a role change, a geographical change, a change in level of responsibility, and it's all come with a level of challenge as well, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But you know, this year, I have experienced God's faithfulness to me personally at a level that I cannot even describe how brilliant he is and how lovely and kind that he is. This year, at the start of the year, there was no way that we were uh, thinking about buying a house. We knew we'd have to move, and we were like, how are we ever going to buy a house? How is this ever going to happen? We've got no idea. And then all of a sudden, we uh, were informed that we were inheriting a bit of money, and then somebody else told us we were inheriting a bit of money and a little bit more. And all of a sudden, we were able to buy not just a first-time buyer's house, and we recognize that, but a house of our dreams. It's a house that is beyond all measure. And I know that all things aren't about materialistic things, so just hear me right on that. What I recognize every day I wake up in that house is a real blessing and mercy from Jesus. The fact that we were able to move in such a quick period of time was just an unreal thing, and I believe that was down to the mercy and grace of God and his faithfulness upon us as as a family. This year we've seen God's faithfulness upon us as a family with finance. When we were unsure at one point whether we'd take a holiday, a break away, we were blessed with two breaks in the same place in Devon in two separate weeks. It was an amazing thing that's happened to us this year. We've experienced and been reminded of God's kindness through his people, his affection. Even when we know we don't deserve it, we have experienced his mercy and grace and kindness 
when we were lonely because we were new in a town and we didn't know anybody, God has provided us with friends in this moment, and we are grateful for that. And so I could name so many more, the boys settling in at school, the boys moving from this amazing kids ministry where we were before to here and thinking, oh, how are they going to settle in? And then them loving and praying over the town on the way home. And that is only testament to the fact of what this church is about and our kids workers here in this church. That's me personally. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I want to encourage you to start thinking about the stones that God has given to you. And then I want to encourage you with some of the stones in for us corporately because I said at the beginning I recognize this year for many of us has been fast and it has been furious these last seven months we have been through so much change and I want to say that there has been some clear memorial moments in this year some of them have been painful I recognize that but some of them have been necessary and also really important for us. And I believe that the Lord has done something as a result of that. And so here are the things that I wrote down as I was reflecting what I believe that the Lord has given us in this year. He has given us a new identity as a church, a new name, a new mission statement, and a fresh leadership. We have our first female elder. Now, that may not seem significant to you, but believe me, it is massive. It is certainly very significant to me as a church leader, and it should be significant to you as a church as well. I am so grateful for all of our elders, but in particular, I want to highlight Anne. She has been amazing in this season. Elam have gone to Anne in this season when we had no minister in between me and Will leaving. Even when I was here, they seemed to go to her because they recognize she's probably wiser than I am, to be fair. She has held us together as a leadership at times, hasn't she, Neil? She's been amazing. And I want to just recognize that she's here, not because she's a woman, but because she has the ability and the call upon God to do this. But it also speaks volume that we as a leadership want to step towards a more diverse leadership. This is only the first step on this process, and we recognize that. But we want to have a more diverse leadership. I don't want it all to be white men at the front of this church. It should not be like that. We're a diverse group of people, and therefore we've got a diverse group of people who need to be led with a diverse team. But we're not just going to appoint people for the sake of appointing them. But that's the second one there. We have our first female elder. Third, we end the year with a staff team of five, which I think is absolutely huge. We began the year with one thinking, I don't know if we can employ Dave and John. I'm not sure how we can afford this. Uh, we sat around going, how, how, how do the numbers work? But God just keeps reviving. And he keeps providing quality people into the leadership team as well. Each one of these people who sit on the leadership team with me could lead their own church, no doubt in my mind, on their own. But they all want to come and serve our church here, and they feel called by it. Fourth, we have connect groups. This, again, may not seem significant to you, but it's about the journey we're on, and it sets us up towards where we want to be. We have groups of people meeting, meeting midweek now, in our church to pray, to study, and to go further on with the journey with Jesus. We have such a great connection with our nursery now. This is a huge one. Uh, we have a new kids and families worker in Heather. She's upstairs now leading kids where she should be, bless her. <laughs> but she's also going to be working in a new role where 50% of her time will be in the church and 50% of her time will be working with our nursery, bridging that gap. Bridging that gap where it once was a really vast gap between the church and the nursery. It's now a united front. And I want to say that's a significant thing. That is a significant thing. We've started a parent cafe and we've started to meet and pray for parents as a result of it. I love coming in. I'm not even part of that anymore. 
I started it and I'm not even part of it. I love coming in and seeing Jane speaking to people, praying for people, inviting them to come to Alpha. I love seeing uh, Jeff speaking to people and Dave speaking to people and praying for people as and when they ask for it. You know, as a result of that, we had over 700 people come through these doors at Christmas for our breakfast with Santa. This isn't about me, like, fluffing myself up or fluffing the church up. These are memorial moments for God to say, this is a moment to remember what God has done in this last seven months. I want to encourage you with that. Because sometimes in the fast and the furious, we can forget. Because I tell you, the Lord told me to rest because I think I've missed a lot of this stuff because I've just been to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. 700 people came in. 700 people received the gospel walking through there. We had teams of volunteers. Eric took the first shift, shift of cooking. And then, and then the team all gathered round. And, and, and Hazel led them for the second shift. And it was amazing to see individuals leading pockets of people all coming together, working together to see these 700 people receive not just a gift from Santa, but the gift from Jesus. As a result of that, 150 people came to our carol concert. That's amazing. 150 people we got to preach to, mainly non-Christians, came and heard the gospel. We've seen new people come to the church and stick with us. We've seen our giving go up as a result of these new people come. These are significant things. People say to me, well, how can we afford to do all this stuff? Because new people are coming and catching the vision, catching the hope of what Jesus is doing and want to see these things happen. Church work days. Now, that might not seem significant to you, but our church work days have been significant moments in our community, coming together, uniting together, and creating hope. Uh, we have people uh, in our team whose partners don't come to church but will come to our church work day, and we're praying for them, and we're seeing little steps of faith of them coming. One of them came on Christmas Day, which was so exciting, and we're so excited for that, and we're praying for that person. Uh, finally, our reputation in the community has been repaired and enhanced as a result of our activities. You know, on the day of the um, Santa Breakfast for Santa, lots of people came in and said, well, I was unsure because I was here when all the bad things happened in the past. When all the bad things happened years ago, when there was, a, there was a split in the church, if you don't know, years ago. And they said, I'll come back in. Oh, I, feel, I feel just it's amazing. I feel amazing to see this new stuff happening. I want to encourage you that our reputation in the community has been repaired and enhanced as a result of our activities over these last seven months. Now, if that doesn't encourage you, I'm not sure what will, because I know there are many more that I could add to the list. But listen, God has given us so many things to be thoughtful over and thankful over, but more importantly, hopeful for what he is going to do in the future. So what I want you to do, I want you to take a stone here, at the end of the service, I've got a load of these colourful stones. I want you to hold on to your stone over these next few months as a reminder, as a memorial of what God has done in your life personally and what he's done in the life of this church as well. God has helped you. God has rescued you. He has changed you. David in the Psalms often referenced God's cares for him in, in his prayers. Maybe just consider the last 12 months and how God has brought you through. We need to create reminders, maybe written reminders so that we will never forget. But one of the greatest reminders is to create living stones for each of us, for each of us, for each other. Are we telling these stories to people? Are we encouraging one another? I don't tell them just to make me feel good about 
throughout myself, I'm telling them because it excites me, because it reminds me that God is on the move. He's not finished. He's not done. He's excited. I'm really excited to be looking ahead to see what he's going to do at Easter and the other things, other opportunities that we have amongst us. I'm really excited for the year ahead. But <laughs> I just want to put a caveat on that. This last seven months have been fast and furious. It doesn't mean the next six months are going to be that fast or furious. I believe the Lord's calling us into a season of, of rest. I think he wants us to rest. I, want, I think he wants us to focus upon who Jesus really is. And so for the next few weeks, as we look at the, as we come to around, gather around the word, we're going to be looking at the characteristics of Jesus. What does that actually mean to be a Christian once more? What does it look like to be a Christian in the 21st century? Who is this Jesus that we keep talking about? You may have been a, a Christian all your life and think you know him, but let's be honest, like the more we've got so much more to know of him. So much more to know of him. And I want to encourage us over this next few weeks as we just come and pause and, and just wait upon the Lord as we listen to his heart. As we step in 2024, come with anticipation because I think it's going to be the biggest year. Yeah, I do believe that. Although I've said all the fast and furious is slowing down, it will do for a period. But we, we rest in order to get ready for the next thing ahead. And I believe Christmas 2024 is going to be bigger than you could ever imagine or ask. I really believe that, that the Lord wants to do something massive in this town, and it may not be in this building. Who knows? I think God wants to do something, break out of this place. Right. And so, what are your living memorials for this coming year? Have a think about what God has done. There will be some bad. There will be some good. And there will be some stuff that you're still working through. But remember and be changed. Be full of praise and thanksgiving. And teach and remind what these stones mean. Let me just pray. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us stones, memorials in our lives. Moments, Lord Jesus, that have changed us, that have transformed us and caused us to rely fully on you, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that it is in you, not in us, Lord God, that we succeed. And Lord Jesus, and we have the strength to do the things that we need to do. Lord, I pray right now. For each and every one of us, as we head off into 2024, Lord God, would we set foot into 2024 with anticipation, with hope, Lord Jesus, and faith and belief that you are going to do something massive and radical, Lord Jesus. I pray as we focus upon you, Lord God, it would be less about us, but more about you, Jesus. It would be less about what we do, Lord God, but about what you do through us, Lord Jesus. We ask that now in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now, Neil and Jenny are going to lead us in our final song. Great is thy faithfulness.